welcome to LesPod. You are here, my friends, because you believe in the LGBT community and the importance of sharing our individual stories to help impact one another. Our goal with the show is to introduce you to people and ideas that are going to help motivate you to pursue your dreams and believe in yourself simultaneously. Okay? My name is Alex Friedlander, and I'm here to introduce you to remarkable people who have helped shift the world we live in today. Today's guest is not only the one and only but it is Miss Grace C. Lopez, the Executive Director of Aqua Foundation and Aqua Girl. Please help me welcome her to the show. Woo! Thank you, thank you. You're welcome, welcome this to the show. This is awesome, this is awesome, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm so excited to have you here, it's like a big deal for me. It's a big deal for anybody. I appreciate it, it's a big deal for me too. <laughs> so, wow, you're like kind of a, um, a limelight in the LGBT community. You've done a lot, and I want to hear all about it. So, um, you're the executive director of Aqua Foundation. You are. Um, you also work in law. You are uh, doing a lot. So, I kind of want to just shift gears, allow you to speak a little bit, and tell me kind of what what inspired you to get involved in the LGBT community, and uh, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So first of all, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Um, I consider myself an advocate, a community leader, someone that speaks for those that don't have voices. Um, how I got involved in the LGBT community was um, through a lot of the nonprofits that I support, that I have supported for many, many years. Um, I became involved at the board level for the Aqua Foundation for Women. And shortly after that, I became the board chair. Um, this I started in 2018. Okay. And then when the managing director stepped down to go to another incredible organization, I stepped up to the executive director role. And that's how I became the ED of this amazing organization uh, who's done Aqua Girl and so many things, you know, that I can't wait to tell you. Amazing. Amazing. Well, congratulations Thank for you. putting in the work and working your way up to that. You know, that's, that's something to admire. Um, so tell me who, uh, who Grace C. Lopez is. Um, I won't, do you want me to keep saying your name like that? I, well, <laughs> let's just make it clear she is Grace C. Lopez, okay? So don't just type in Grace Lopez because you're going to find everybody. That's what I told her. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, so who I am? Um, I am a, I was born in Cuba. Okay. I came when I was very young at the age of five. I am a product of Miami, Florida, uh, from public schools to, um, the public school systems. I was raised in poverty, um, so I am a product of Medicaid, which is given to the poorest people in our community. I'm very grateful, and therefore my passion for wanting to do so much is my past, is my childhood. This community gave so much to me that it is time, and I promised myself that if I ever made it, and I made it, you yes, know, you I, I, I made it that I was going to do everything possible to give back to the same community they gave to me. And I've been volunteering for the past 21 years in different organizations, always in a leadership role where I can push the needle and just do a little bit more than has been done in the past. Right. And also empowering other women to do the same. Right, so I empower leaders to hopefully when I step down, someone better than me comes in and does even more and pushes and helps push 
the, the needle. I love so, it. So, wow. It's I, powerful. I love to give back. That's incredible. That's incredible. So let's, uh, let's kind of dip into your childhood a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, tell me what it was like for you growing up. You know, what, um, what was it like? I don't want to give any of your story away because we did speak before, but you know, what, yeah, tell me, tell me what it was like growing up, you know, coming here from Cuba at five, um, what your parents were like and, you know, how it was to so, deal with poverty. Yeah, I was, um, well, first of all, I didn't know that I was, that I lived in poverty because my mother worked two jobs to give me everything. So it was, it was so uh, amazing that I went to some of the best public schools and I hung out with a lot of the rich kids and I had no idea that I was poor. Um, and um, my background when we came to this country was just my mother and I. And it was very difficult. My father was supposed to come, but it didn't work out that way. So she raised me by herself her entire life. And it was lonely. You asked me a very deep question. It's, what was it like? It's um, very lonely, very, very lonely. Um, everybody had a father, everybody had a mother. I just had a mother. Um, I couldn't understand why my mother would always say, I have a soft hand and I have a hard hand. The soft hand is the mother hand and the hard hand is the father hand. I'm like, what, what is that supposed to mean? Why can't fathers be nice too? And you know, So I grew up with that mentality. Um, but what's interesting, um, I sort of grew up by myself. I didn't have family, I didn't have cousins, I didn't have uncles, I didn't have grandmothers and grandfathers. My mother worked all the time, so um, she left me with a babysitter and uh, I spent a lot of time by myself. So I created imaginary friends, I created imaginary businesses. I've been creating businesses since I was six, I think. Wow. I'm collecting paper clips and papers and pens and I love all that stuff. So, who knew? So, it was very lonely um, until probably the age of eight where I realized that I liked girls. Oh, wow, okay. So, I became very close to all my friends, all my girlfriends, and I kind of liked them. I didn't know what that meant. How, and, how did you, and when you say you liked them, can you describe what that feels like or what it felt like at that age? Sure, sure. Um, I didn't know this back then. But now I know. Right. I always took a liking to female teachers. I always took a liking to the big sisters of my little friends. I took a liking to the mothers of my friends. I took a liking to women, period. And um, girls my age, I always, I didn't know back then, but I guess I had crushes on them. And right. I was like, well, I don't know what this means. I don't know why my mother doesn't want me to continue playing with this girl, but what did I do? Did I say something wrong? Did I act in a different way? Um, I didn't want to wear skirts. I hated skirts. I still hate skirts. <laughs> I don't like dresses. I wear them for functions and cocktail attires and gals and everything. I can wear the gown. I can wear the heels. I can wear everything. But I, where I feel more comfortable, it's my pants. Yeah. My pants. So all those patterns and behaviors, I felt that, okay, this, the world is telling me something. Okay, and one of the things that it was telling me is that I love to play with Barbies. I love Barbies. Like, remember when I said I grew up by myself, yeah. very lonely, so I created stories and, and imaginary friends. Well, Barbies to me was my family. I mean, I had tons of them, you know, but I always wanted to be Ken. 
<laughs> I love it. I always wanted to be Ken. I wanted to be the boy in the relationship. I wanted to be that beautiful, gorgeous man who is probably gay because <laughs> he was so beautiful. But yeah. um, so that's how I started to get to know myself. But in the process of getting to know myself and knowing myself, my mother was also getting to know me. Mm. And therefore, she started deviating and, and telling me things and discouraging me to watching Billie Jean King and tennis, because I love tennis. Um, you know, Chris Everett, I mean, I, sports? Are you kidding me? Uh, I, I, know, <laughs> I know that right now we have a, a tremendous issue with the legislation about craziness with the transgender kids. Yeah. It breaks my heart because I'm not a transgender person. But I can only imagine, as a little lesbian that I was, I was trying to play baseball and my mother wouldn't let me because that was a boy's thing. Right. You know, I wanted to play the drums. You can't play the drums. That's a boy thing. So all these things that we're raised with. So my mother, while I was trying to get to know myself, so was she. Hmm. And she did everything possible, including abusing me verbally to make sure that I became someone else that I wasn't. Wow. But I didn't listen. And do you think that that was due to her own fear of not wanting you to grow up with a quote unquote harder lifestyle? Or because sometimes I feel like our parents or friends or family do things that aren't always the kindest acts because they're scared. I, I feel that there was a, a combination of everything. I think, I don't think my mother knew what a gay person looked like, lived by, or lived in what, you know, environment they lived in. She, I don't think she was that knowledgeable. I think that what I do know is that she was raised Catholic. She was an orphan. She had a very, very difficult life, and she was raised in a convent with this Catholic mentality and religious mentality that this is the way that life has to be. You marry a boy if you're a girl, and if you're a, uh, a boy, you marry a And all these things that were in her mind, and that was, in her defense, that's all she knew. So right. I, I never, you know, uh, I never thought for a moment my mother wished me ill or my mother um, didn't want me to be who I was. It's just that she didn't know any better. But what I do know that played a key role in my mother's life was peer pressure, right? Mm -hmm. You lived in this little Cuban neighborhood. You have all these little Latin, Hispanic friends. All the girls are married. You know, they look up to the man as the worshiper and it's like, oh my gosh, this is what, it's like a cookie cutter relationship. This is what Grace has to do. Right. And Grace has never done what Grace is asked to do. I do what I want to do, what I feel in my heart that is what I need to do. Did you guys hear that? That's a big deal. And that's courageous. And that's hard. But it was very painful. Yeah. You know, sure. I, can, I can sit here, I can tell you, and I can speak to everybody out there that's going through this, that it's very easy for me to come here, smile in front of you, giggle, you know, laugh. But it was so painful. It was so lonely. It was tears after tears where I didn't want to live. There was a point in my life where I didn't want to live because my mother felt that I shouldn't exist. My mother was verbally abusive and she used to tell me that 
I'd rather you be dead than be a lesbian. I'd rather you be a prostitute than be a lesbian. Um, and I'm like, I didn't even know what a prostitute was, but I knew it was really something bad. I, I was a little kid. I, I was. How old were you when she was saying these kinds of things? I think um, 15, 16, 17, which is a very delicate age because yes. you need your mom. You need. I only had my mom, so I needed her love. I needed her affection. I needed her understanding and her and, acceptance. And all I wanted to do was run, but where, where would I run? Right. Um, one time I, and this is deep. Let's but go. I, but people need to yeah, hear this. It's important. Um, my mom was an alcoholic and she also was suicidal. So I was always taking care of her. I was like the parent and she was the child and always forgave her because of her upbringing. It was very difficult. Um, but one time, it wasn't a verbal abuse anymore. It was a physical abuse. And she came after me with a machete. I mean, and I had to run for my life inside a two-bedroom apartment. Luckily, it was one story. And the only thing that saved me was that I was able to close that door fast enough. Um, I own that apartment now. And I've never changed that door. As mm -hmm. a memory, it has coffee, but, it, but the wound of that door is there. And it's a reminder to me for the rest of my life that there's a lot of kids out there, a lot of teenagers that are watching, and I'm hoping they're watching, they're listening, and that they can learn from me that you don't have to put up with this from anyone, not even your parents. There's a better life if you believe in yourself and i believed in myself so much that i opened this tiny little window i crawled out of there i think i was the same height as i am right now i was very young very scared and i left i ran i ran away from home and i went to a friend's house for like 30 days and then the social you know when you're in the and the Medicaid system and the social system and and everybody came to my rescue we had therapy my mother wouldn't talk she was like the worst communicator my mother felt that communicating and loving me was giving me things mm. so I love you I'm gonna buy you a bedroom set I can relate to that uh, you want the most expensive jeans don't worry I'll get them for you that's how much I love you and she didn't realize that it wasn't about the jeans it wasn't about the clothing. It wasn't about providing me with a new bedroom set. It was about the love that I was missing and I grew up with that void. Right. So that got me even closer to women. I bet. Yeah, because you were missing that connection that we need from our mothers or whoever's raising us. You know, we need that love. We need that acceptance. We need to feel seen, heard, and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And I'm really sorry that you went through that, but I think, you know, it was kind of a disguise uh, or a blessing in disguise because you wouldn't be the powerful woman that you are today who still has that door as a memory to know I can fucking do anything. And I excuse my French, but I'm trying not to curse as much, but I can do anything I want. You know, my mother came after me, you know, came after me and I blocked that. And I'm keeping this door as a reminder to remind me that nothing is going to get in my way. That's right. That's powerful. That's right. And if it wasn't for my teachers that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, I probably would not be here today. 
because they're the ones that gave me the opportunity and always pulled me to the side because I think they knew what I was going through at home. Right. And I just thought they liked me, but they probably felt sorry for me. Yeah. And because they felt this way about me, they gave me opportunities. And like what? Give me an example. Like, for instance, when I was in high school, I went to Gables High, and I was in this business program, and this job became available, and it was in a law firm, and my dream was to be a lawyer. Love lawyers, love working around them. I just love everything about lawyers. Yeah. And the practice of law, because it's all about justice. So yes. I love that aspect of law. <laughs> but, but there was this job. They needed, like, a part-time person. So one of my teachers pulls me to the side after school and said, you need to go interview. And I'm like, no, I'm not ready for that. He goes, no, no, you need to interview. So I noticed, of course, analyzing way after, right? Wait a minute, she didn't announce this job to the entire class. She singled me out. She pulled me from the class, after class, she spoke to me. She convinced me after three times of asking me to go interview. Wow. Because apparently they were calling the high school because they needed help. And I went and I started working at a law firm. And that's been my entire career. And if it wasn't for those teachers that saw something in me and believed in me, I wouldn't be here today and I would have been living my dream and working for some of the top law firms in the world. I have worked for the third and the fifth law firm in the world. Wow. And Go I, you. I can't tell you. Again, my way of giving back, I became an adjunct professor at Florida International University. That's what I did for my students. I started placing them. I started finding them jobs. I started coaching them. I started teaching them that no, it's not a possibility if they really truly wanted something. True, that's absolutely true. Wow, wow, you're just a bucket of fun. <laughs> that is incredible. Um, so tell me a little bit about the law. You know, like, um, what is it exactly that you practice? You know, do you have any uh, feedback or information for the community that might be beneficial for them who can't afford an attorney? You know. Of course, of course. I have a lot of information. Uh, but first of all, I want to be very clear yes. that even though I, my dream was to be a lawyer, I realized that starting and working in a law firm, um, it was very difficult as a woman who had to lie about who I was. Yes. And I had to make up fake boyfriends and go on fake vacations. And, and it was just very, it was a very difficult time when I started. And I was so disappointed how women were elevated and motivated and promoted to positions that I said, uh, I'm never going to do that to get ahead. I'm going to manage their money. When you manage people's money, they look at you completely differently. Very true. Very different. That's their livelihood. So I put myself through school. After hours, I went to management school. I got a degree. I became the, I was, when I started an law firm, I was the fifth person in an accounting department. They had a big accounting department. And after that, I became the assistant office manager. 
after the office manager retired, I was like her right-hand person. I was doing almost everything. And I was very futuristic. I always looked at, you know, better ways of doing things and, and just practice management. And to my surprise, they promoted me to her position when they, when she retired. Get and it. I was like, I was a kid. Right. I was a kid with all this experience. I learned from the ground up. I was like, oh my gosh. I was just kidding about managing their money, but now I'm managing their entire firm. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this was, oh my God, this is a gift from above. Right. Because again, if it wasn't for my teachers, if it wasn't for believing in myself and always having that drive to do more and to give and to just maximize your life. Yes. Don't just stop. Right. You know, and it doesn't matter whether you work in a law firm, whether you work as a janitor, it doesn't matter the position. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you do with your life while you're going through the hurdles. Yes. And that was amazing. That was the entrance. That was like, for me, that was a dream come true that led me to my other dream to work in an international law firm. Like, well, now I'm doing all this. Now, now I'm bigger. I want bigger. I want international. I don't want national anymore. I don't want Florida anymore. I want national. I want international. So I got this incredible opportunity to work at the top three law firms in the world, international with 26 offices all over the world, and I was managing their Miami office. So from wow. that point on, I became, I put myself through school again. I went to the George Washington University. Very and nice. It was Two years of long studying, hard work. Oh my gosh, my vacation combined. I paid for it myself. Uh, I didn't have any vacation. I didn't have a life, but I needed to do this. Not so much because of the lawyers, not so much because of the law firms, because of me. I, I wanted to become an expert. I wanted to, to have the equivalent of a JD, you know, Juris Doctor for the lawyers, right. which is a you know, equivalent to a master's degree, you know, for the management and law, and it was specific law firm management. So I was like, wow, I wanna write a book, I wanna speak, I wanna have my own consulting firm, I wanna do all these things. I'm like, I'm not gonna stop just managing these law firms. I wanna do so much. Well, at the same time, always, always volunteering and giving back to the community with thousands of hours per year. And what does that do for you? Like, cause I mean, people, I feel like people don't realize the benefit of giving back, but it's actually more of a selfish act than it is a selfless act if you look, if you choose to look at it that way. It's interesting. Everybody says that, you know, and, and one of the questions that I'm asked the most is, how do you find the time? I don't get it. You do this, you do that. Uh, what, wait, you, and this was during <clears throat> the time that I was taking care of my mother, and, and I'm like, oh my God. Not giving back to me is not an option. I work for pay because I have to pay my bills because Correct. I want nice things in life. Right. But I am involved in the nonprofit world because it is the most amazing and the most rewarding experience in your entire life. You can work and you can do an amazing and work on an amazing project and save a firm $50 million. Wow. You just sign a contract with a vendor that's going to save them a ton of money in the next 10 years. That's lovely. That's beautiful. Wow. That will be forgotten probably in three days. 
Truth. When you are working for a nonprofit and you're giving with your heart and you're giving your time and you're making an impact, there's no money. There's no money in the world that you can put a tag to that action, to that impact, to that change, to inspiring kids. Like we have, Aqua has a scholarship program and the, and the students, you know, college students call me and say, Grace, what do you think about this? And how do you think I should handle this? And I don't know about my scholarship and I don't know about this semester next. And what do you think I should do? You know what I tell them? Get involved. Start getting involved. Make a name for yourself. Volunteer. Well, I can't volunteer. I, how, how do I do that? Right? People, yeah, people get scared because they just are, they don't know how to start. They don't know how to start. So the fear kind of physically and mentally paralyzes them to the point where they just, just look and watch, but they don't do. Exactly. So how do you, a lot of talkers how do you out bypass? There. There's a lot of talkers There's out there. There's a lot of talkers. We have a ton of talkers. How do you bypass that? And we also have a lot of people that volunteer in nonprofits because it looks good in their professional resume. Because oh, they have peer sure. pressure yes. in their jobs that, well, you know, we may promote you to this director position, but you have no community service. Right. Go out there and build a house. Yeah. Do something. That's not really why you should be involved. No, absolutely not. And you should want to do it. You and like feel, I've always, you know, a sense of um, not obligation, but a sense of fulfillment. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about um, the Aqua Foundation and like what your goals are for Aqua for the people that don't know about it. So Aqua Foundation is an amazing organization, first of all, and I will continue to say that many, many times over and over. Um, and it was um, actually, it was, it started from these amazing women, five amazing women, uh, a round table discussion and saying, we don't do enough for the lesbian community. This was back in 1999. And we need to start doing things for the L. And sure enough, they started hosting parties. Out of hosting parties, Aqua Girl was born. Mm. They gave it a name, Aqua Girl. Yes. All these women were girls, and they were young girls, and they they went clubbing, and they went socializing, and they didn't have a safe place to go. There were very few. There's always been few bars for women. There's always been a lot more bars for men. For gay right. men. Yeah. So these amazing women, um, and Allison Burgers from Pandora Events, who came up with the name Aqua Girl. Oh, very nice. Um, and others like Liz Schwartz, Robin Schwartz, um, amazing, amazing people. Cindy Brown was going to be um, honored at the Miami Beach Pride. All these amazing women and the founder, which was of course Alicia, you know, Apgel. And she, she was the one that came up with, let's start some serious conversations. Okay, this is great. We can put parties together, Aqua Girl, but what are we doing? It's, it's what I was just sharing with you, right? It's like, okay, you have your professional goals and it's like you have your, your fun party, but how are we giving back? Correct. So how these women decided to give back was to form a 501c3, mm. right? And it was called, back then it was called the Women's Fund and it changed to Aqua Foundation for Women later. And that organization was founded in 2004. And since then, we've been doing amazing things. Like so what? far, so so far, we one of our biggest joys and one of our most amazing 
experiences for anyone that has served at the Aqua Board as a volunteer, as a mentor, is our scholarship program. We have given over 82 scholarships. Wow. Over $850,000. Wow. And it's been since 2007, and it's been one of our most successful programs that we have had in the history of Aqua. Um, That's right, super inspiring. It's, it's amazing. And, and we wow. pair them. What's amazing about this unique scholarship program is that we pair every scholar that we feel is going to be a future leader to the LGBTQ community. We pair them with a mentor. We, we mm. pair them with a really, really amazing mentor that's going to be with them. Going, most of them become like really close friends. I mean, part of the family. Of course, yeah. It's like, it's amazing. I mean, talk about giving back and the return on investment is so much more than what you give. Yes. So it started with a scholarship program. We also do so many other things. Um, right now, we just awarded 10 scholarships. I'm not going to talk about it because this press release is going out next week. So I'm not going to say anything. But again, 10 amazing students are going to be getting. And what we do is um, we have a committee and we have many power, powerful individuals in this committee um, that sit at the University of Miami, at FIU. These are education people that are, you know, um, with an education background. So they deal with students, they've been teachers, they know what to look for, and we go through a very tedious process. Right. Because it is, when yeah. we open the applications, and we have certain things that we look for. And um, this is very important to us, because we want to make sure that it's not only about the GPA, but it's, it's also about the community service and also how they see themselves in the future helping others and coming back to the organization and helping, giving back, right? right. Pay, pay it forward. Yeah. And to our surprise and to our incredible program, we have, the, we have a scholar, a three-time scholar. Her name is Ayana and Jenny Gonzalez, and she is the chairwoman of the Miami, the first ever Miami-Dade County LGBTQ advisory board, and she's our scholar. Wow, so, get it? <laughs> proud of you. That's incredible. And 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 to even put icing on this cake. Yes, because please it's a do. Huge cake. Ice it up. Let's go. Oh my goodness, she is the first transgender woman to serve in any Miami-Dade County board. Wow. As a chair. That's epic. So I'm. We are like so excited and we are just beyond excited yes and additionally we asked her to join our board in january and she's one of our board members and she's leading transgender initiatives and she we're doing great things that we are going to be announcing and we're just doing amazing i mean you need, it's you need to connect me oh my god that's i need to hear her story that's oh incredible my I, I introduced her to happening out you know yeah brand new so she's you know putting her out there she's very busy she has a master's degree in social work so she just you know she got employed immediately after graduating good in for december her. and she is if i may say it a badass yes <laughs> do it up girl well, we have others we also have ariana lint from ariana center which i would love for you to also interview her her story is amazing another transgender woman and this is um in the history of aqua there's never been two transgender women serving on the aqua board and we have more but i'm not going to say those things wow we have that's, more we have that's a really lot neat. of good things coming do you realize that you know um and I said this in my last episode, but really like 
the we are becoming more the majority than the minority because we're as long as we're accepting of everybody within our family i think that things could get could get a lot bigger a lot smoother you know and acceptance can be something that people instead of looking forward to are accustomed to you know exactly exactly and it is uh, through opportunities like this yeah you know open spaces that we have an opportunity to share with the public our own experiences so they can get empowered to doing things um, we had you know this past um, scholarship program we had a student that if it wasn't for our scholarship money that we gave um, she would probably still be living inside a car she wow. was kicked out of her home when her parents found out that she was a lesbian. And we don't know this. I get chills. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, we don't know this. It's not part of our question, whether you're homeless. It's not part of a question, whether you're living in a car. We find these things later. As a matter of fact, when we're going through the process of selection, we make sure that their names and anything about them that is personal is blocked. So there's no bias in the decision-making of that scholar. So how would we have known? So these are the stories that I can tell you. I will always, always. So, so I just, you know what? Um, leadership starts at the top and I, I'm very, you know, I guess, very humbled to say that I've worked really, really hard all my life to make sure that I have the things that I need right and it was a time of giving back and putting your money where your mouth is yeah so to speak wow yeah and i Truth. gave 50 percent of my salary uh i just do it and the board chair i remember her her face this was during a zoom she looks at me and she goes like this she goes really i'm not gonna say her name but really you would be willing to do that yeah, yeah. We, we can't shut down the organization. We can't, we can't stop giving scholarships. We cannot stop asking for money. Can't stop impacting. But I know, I know how to make impact. Let's cut my salary there until it's okay to come back again. Wow. And I didn't announce it. I didn't, I, would, I, didn't want, I didn't want publicity. I didn't want credit for that because it was the right thing to do. When you saw all these humongous companies furloughing and stuff, my work couldn't stop. As a matter of fact, I work more hours than ever because I need to reinvent myself. I don't have a marketing background. And whatever you do here with your production and your stuff, that's not me. That's not my background. My right. background is management, business. I can make something successful. I can ask. I'm a relationships person. But putting something together virtually in a platform, I didn't know how to do that. So we started AquaCares. And I was the production person behind it. I had to be pressing the button, go live, um, find the speakers, okay, find the audience, find the platform. And then we went live and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Talk about these hiccups that we have. Yeah. Oh my God, it's like, and then the other organizations, which of course, you know, they're a lot larger than ours. You know, they had the nice platforms and here, donate, press a button here, and here's our logo, and here's the thing, and, and then and it has a banner that goes like this, and I'm like, wow, I want Aqua to be like that one day. And that I is got you. my dream. Oh, I got you. 
I know. I was reading about you, and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. We're gonna no do, coincidences. We're going to do great things That together. I drove all this way from Miami to come and meet with you, you know, past my dinner time, and I'm here. Yeah, there are no coincidences. Wow. But you know what? You do what you really have to do. And that's so fucking empowering. That is empowering. Wow. It's just a little way of giving back. A little way, yeah. yeah. Just, a, just a smidge. Yeah, and, and just working as hard as you can and, and staying focused. Yes, because there's you always must stay there's always distractions. There's always, always um, people that don't want you to succeed, which yeah. is really ironic, right? Because we're all women, we're all lesbians, we're all like we should part be of the LGBT community, and we should all be in this together. And I just feel that there's sometimes an opposition. I yeah. don't know why. I don't know why either. I'm um, gonna fix it. And I'm like, oh no, I don't care what time of night you call me. I will always be here for you, and I want you to succeed. If I can, if I can share with you. A grant that you can get. As a matter of fact, today I was in a Zoom right before coming here and I was sharing with one of the guests that I had invited to this Zoom meeting for a third party organization and I was texting her and saying, You need to do this, you need to do that, and you need. Oh my God. You know why? Because that's gonna come back to me three times over. Yes. Instead of hiding all these secrets and all these ingredients. No. I want you to be better than I. I want you to do great things. Because I want you to remember me one day that I was the person that helped you to get there. But not because I helped you getting there, but because of the impact that you're making with your own organization to get there. Because with your own power. All of us are yeah. extensions of each other. Correct. I can't do everything. And I don't want to do everything. But I know people that can. Right. You're resourceful, sister. You're resourceful. So I do want to ask a question. Um, Why well, have two? Hopefully before the uh, camera shuts off. Well, before commercial. Before, before commercial. commercial. <laughs> um, what What is the What's the legacy that you'd like to leave behind? You know, as a person, overall. You know, it's it's interesting because I always think of that and. Um, I, will, I want to be different. I, I definitely want to be different in the sense that if the legacy that I want to leave behind is that A, you have to give back. Everybody, I'm a product of people giving to me. I'm a product of a toy drive that people did for me. I right. didn't know that. Right. I was afforded the opportunity through an incredible organization that I belong to, to do 10 toy drives, 10 wow. annual toy drives. You know how exciting that was for me because I was one of those kids waiting for that truck to arrive for those little toys. Nobody knows that. That's, that's but, huge. So my legacy is that, oh my gosh, don't just sit there. Don't stop watching television. Stop watching all these series. Stop and watching this and go out and do. And do something. Give. It doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's animals. I'm so passionate about animals. Um, women. Organization. Your church. Whatever. Your school. Teach. I started teaching. I, I taught for like 16 years at FIU. That's my way of giving back. And let me tell you. It was, oh, it was horrible. 
Traffic was horrendous, leaving Brickell to go to FIU South in rush hour. And it was, and they yes. don't pay you anything. I know. I bet. But it's, oh, to see these students, how they look at you and they look up to you and they're like, oh my God, can she inspire me? They can read a book and learn everything that there is to learn about how to manage something. But one thing they cannot learn is how to have confidence in themselves. And I feel that I taught my students that. And a lot of the people still to date, a lot of the people that I meet, I build confidence in them. I show them and I show them something that they cannot see in themselves about believing in themselves. That's my legacy. Wow. I love that. That was beautiful. Oh, 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 oh,